Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Because of the uh, personal notes that he kept, we know more about St. Patrick than a lot of other people during 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries. So it's a very interesting, even to this day, uh, that we know so much about him. I've got about 30 books on him, uh, and I've read most of those, and I, I have like a... Uh, a, uh, a framework in my mind and heart about him. And so being very satisfied with where he was, thank God I was a slave, now I'm free. All of a sudden, one night, the Irish appeared to him in a dream. How many of you have ever been uh, directed by a dream? Raise your hand. Yeah? It's, a, it's the, you know, it's one of the, I, I've heard, I haven't counted it out. It's the number one form of communication in the Old and New Testament. Even the only thing we know about Joseph, the, the earthly father of Jesus, the husband of Mary, all you really know about him is that he was a work, hard worker, but that he also was directed by God through four different dreams. And so you know he was a spiritual man. He understood that God moves in this temporal realm in supernatural ways. He speaks to us even through nature that's all around us. St. Patrick, though, Irish appeared to him one night, and they said, uh, it was what they used to call him over in Ireland. They called him Holy Boy. And uh, they said, oh, lad, Holy Boy, will you not come walk amongst us again? Now, for us here at Bethel, you know, we tell you get confirmation on everything. Somehow that was a deep enough, powerful dream that it compelled him to go back, to prepare to go back, to build his team to go back to the place of his slavery and his bondage. It's kind of a biblical pattern, actually. You know, that God, God takes us through difficult times sometimes, but he's got something amazing that he wants to open up. And we're always reluctant about it because there's something about it that causes us to not want to enter into that new place. We're excited about it, but... There's always a cost that's attached to some of these things. And so St. Patrick, he was Patrick back then. Patrick prepares, becomes a bishop in the uh, Catholic Church, prepares his team, and word got out, no internet, but word got out on the street in Ireland that holy boy was coming back. And it so wrought fear in the Irish people, remember, they're afraid of nobody. Romans, the most powerful army, they, they beat them back when they first attacked them, beat them back, and they never came back again as a result of that. Well, I did a few little trips, but nothing serious. And so, so here, a holy boy, now a bishop in the Catholic Church, sets foot on the soil. His first mission was to win his former slave owner, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when word got out to the slave owner that his feet had hit the soil of Ireland, out of a panic, his slave owner, believing that Patrick had supernatural powers and was coming back to kill him, actually burnt his castle down and destroyed himself and committed suicide out of fear of Patrick. Legend says that Patrick could see the homeland, the place where he had once lived, in the distance burning, and he fell on his feet, on his knees, and began to weep because he knew that his slave owner had passed on to his eternal judgment. 
So it stirred him deep in his heart. Patrick spent about 28 years in Ireland. And in that 28 years in classical kind of ancient Ireland, where there were really no roads, only little paths. Most of the Irish would go from town to town, which were mainly on the coast through a boat. But Patrick went town to town. And over that 28 years, out of, out of a hunt, they believed to be 150,000 people in the country at that time, 100,000 gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the fifth century. Think about that for a minute. And since that day, Ireland is marked Sorry, I always get emotional when I talk about it. But Ireland was marked with spiritual roots by one man that made a choice to go back to his place of pain and see God do something supernatural. And he not only did a something supernatural, but the legend is he drove the snakes out of Ireland. There were no snakes in Ireland. The point was the demonic stronghold that had been there for centuries that was the worst that it had ever been. I mean, demonized people manifesting and shape-shifting. It was reported over and over again. Even the Romans talked about it. When they came running off the mountain, the Celts would actually shift into Hulk-like creatures, and it freaked out. It was demonic manifestations of an ancient people, and it freaked civilized people out, so nobody goes to Ireland. It was the island prison of the world at that time, but they were causing trouble all over the world. But in that place, St. Patrick, he began to speak to kings in England. There was a number of different emerging leaders over England. Human trafficking was a big thing. In fact, they came over one day, the British came over, What's it, who would be the British now, came over to Ireland and at a baptism where they're baptizing, baptizing scores of new converts into the kingdom of God out of this pagan country, they would come over and kidnap the women and the men as long as the men didn't resist, if they did, they'd kill them. They'd kidnap the women for sex trafficking that was happening all over the world. And Patrick, who was just a bishop in the Catholic Church, sent scathing rebukes in letters, telling kings that if they did not give up the virgins that were captured in Ireland, that they would burn in hell and hell's fire would come against them. They gave up the virgins, they brought them back. I mean, you got a guy there who's hitting social issues. He's moving in supernatural power. He's seeing miracles everywhere he goes. All a guy who his initial introduction to Ireland was slavery, pain, difficulty. Think about that when you're drinking your green beer this Thursday. It's way more than that. We pray right now that this week as we acknowledge St. Patrick, Lord, that there would be a very spiritual touch of this ancient saint, Lord, who ministered at so many levels, so many stories, so many ways that you will powerfully affect a generation right now, Lord, that actually kind of reflects the times of then and now, now and then, then and now, now and then. And some believe there was even a book written about 24 years ago, how the Celts saved Western civilization. Because what they did with the word of God, equipped in scrolls on their belt, St. Patrick raised up armies of people, Brendan, Columbanus, uh, and many others, uh, Hillary and others that went forth powerfully 
as disciples of St. Patrick all over the world. Some of them, yes, even reached into the North American continent. It is believed there's been evidence of that way back in the fifth and sixth century. So you look now, his effect, and what they did is they went all over Europe that had fallen because of the Roman Empire following. They lost their, their guidance, lost their understanding. They started basically the beginnings of Western civilization, which was Jesus built. They built colleges, universities, everything else, medicine, the whole thing. They were into science. They were into everything because they saw God as the creator of all things. One person can make a difference. So I pray for you right now, this week will be a week of tremendous understanding and reflection about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you could, to Hebrews chapter six. Uh, last week, and for this past while, I've been, I've been touching on warfare ideas and thoughts. And of course, the war of Russia against Ukraine has caught all of our attention. I thought, what better time now than to reflect on weapons of warfare, strategies of warfare? Because the Bible says that we are in a war as believers, and that our war is not against flesh and blood. Now, I understand in this temporal realm, there are flesh and blood wars. But we stand as people that are familiar with this temporal realm, the terrestrial realm. But we understand that we are citizens of the celestial realm, that God has anointed us. And although our mortal physical bodies are still here on planet Earth, that our heart, the, the geography of our heart, the GPS of our heart is in the throne room of heaven. And out of that throne room in heaven, with the Holy Spirit as our guide, Jesus as our elder brother and Abba Father as our father, we get guidance and understanding of how to function in this realm called earth. And so we walk around, man, we're not weird about it. I'm from heaven. You know, don't do that. You'll get in trouble at work. Might get in trouble with your spouse. I'm heavenly. I'm spiritual. I'm supernatural. No, we're very stealthy, man. We're here, but we understand that this is not our eternal home. We're foreigners here. We love our citizenship here in, in the United States, but we have another, we're dual citizens. We have another citizenship that is in heaven. And so we face this moment right now, realizing our wars are not of the flesh, I read that last week, but spiritual. Spiritual wars that can actually pull things down from the heavens. We have the ability to draw from heaven and thus fulfilling the very prayer that Jesus said that we should pray, a kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, in the Greek, it's really stronger than that. It's come thy kingdom, be done thy will. It's a little warfare attitude in there too. Become thy kingdom, come thy kingdom, be done thy will. You show up in a situation where things are chaotic. You have the ability to bring war from higher levels where there's no natural solution that seems to be popping up at the moment. But you draw from heaven, you pull down strongholds, pull down things that are in people's minds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is our battle. And this is how we fight our battles. We just sang it. I love that song. I referred to it last week. When we sing that song, we are singing about battles and ways that we war 
that are not human with anger and, and manipulation is not the warfare of a believer. I'm going to get you back somehow. You're going you're gonna to know this. That's not the language of the believer. That's not the warfare of the believer. The warfare takes place in the heart and mind. And in that heart is the heart is training the mind because the mind is locked into some bad thinking. You know, it's been around a long time. And the heart, it's been renewed and born again, begins to instruct through the Holy Spirit. Spirit to spirit to mind. Spirit to spirit to mind to body. And the body responds to it. And we become followers of Jesus Christ. So where are we now? Where are we now in the country? Where are we now in the world? There's so much fear out there right now. We're in a time which happens periodically in our lifetime. We experience right now some of ta a taste of the, of the daily fears of people that have lived in other times, like medieval times. It's, it's rumored that the, the uh, what is it, the uh, uh, 1100s, I think, I think they declare the worst 100 years in human history. I mean, it was, everything was out of control. So if you have nothing else to thank God for, thank him that you're not living in the 1100s. Right now, let's just thank the Lord. We are not living in the 1100s. You said, but we're in the, we're in 21, 2000s. I mean, this is, it's, it's pretty bad right now. I'm telling you, as bad as you might think it is right now, there are worse things that can happen. We have not yet, right now, in this room, come to the point, as it says in scripture, in the shedding of blood. So we're looking ahead. Can we be a people who are able to look ahead into the promises of God and declare those things to people around us in order to bring peace to those who may not be followers of Jesus Christ or those followers who, what the Bible says, have fallen asleep? Can we do that? When can we really do that? Let's look in Scripture and see what it says. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this. Look at verse 4. This is a really dicey verse. I, you know, I don't know if I've ever preached out of verse four. And I'm not gonna hang around in it because it's scary. But I'm gonna introduce you to it now so that you know it is there. And I know first thing you're gonna say is, it, yeah, but that's interpreted in a different way. We do that about verses that touch our lives. When a verse touches things in our life that we believe that are not proper or right, we say, well, yeah, but what does it say in the Greek? <laughs> and then you look up in the Greek and it says the same thing. But what does the uh, English uh, version say? What does the American standard say? And you search through all the versions until you find something where you go, okay, now that I believe is right. But somehow when you read scripture as you were born again, things, uh, there's a yes in your heart when the Holy Spirit is speaking. And so Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, it's debated, whoever wrote it, they're touching on something in order to provoke a response that reminds you of the life that we're supposed to live. So here it goes, verse four. Man, I'm feeling really nervous about this. No, I'm just joking. But anyway, it's, for it is impossible. Everyone say impossible. Wait, I thought all things are possible according to a state of Ohio. For it is impossible for those who were once, think about this, who were once enlightened, that just means light's coming on, have tasted the heavenly gift. Check, check, that's me. I'm enlightened. I've tasted heavenly gift. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Yes, 
That's us. That's Bethel Cleveland. Partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God. Yeah, every Sunday and daily as I read the word of God. Let's check, 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 check. The taste of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Oh, yeah. I think I have tasted of those powers of the things to come. Verse five. Or is it six? Six. I already did five. Six. If, oh, uh, but ifs and therefores are big, big words in scripture. If they fall away, oh, wait a minute, it's connected to verse four. It is impossible if they fall away. It's impossible that you can do all these, but if you fall away, you can fall away? Well, what does that even mean? Is that, I mean, does that mean like I'm going to hell? What does that really mean? If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, what? You got one chance if you fall away to renew. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. I don't want to do that. He was crucified once for all of us and put him to an open shame. And it's like Paul changes the subject, swipes the screen for the earth. Wait, what? For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it. Oh, this is believers too. It's just a different way of saying it. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, oh yeah, okay, the rain comes, bears herbs useful for those whom it is by whom those it is cultivated. Receives blessings from God. But, <laughs> I was gonna say that's a big but, but that doesn't sound right. Verse eight, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Let's just meditate on those verses for a few minutes. Wow. I only say this because I'm amazed right now in our culture, and this applies to me too. I'm amazed how easily we stray from the centrality of who Jesus is. In order to do that, we have to reinvent who Jesus is. We have to say, well, Jesus, you know, he's not a judge. Actually, he is. He's a righteous judge. He will judge all of us one day. So, okay, well, he, yeah, but he never gets angry. Well, he did. Yeah, but he, he loves me no matter what. Of course, he'll always love you. It has nothing to do with that. It's, it's the pleasure of our eternal sacrifice unto the Lord. Jesus also said, he, I love how he said, Jesus doesn't want me to be concerned. Jesus doesn't want me to, to be in any pain. Jesus doesn't want me to suffer. Jesus, anything that happens to me that I don't like is not Jesus. That's our theology right now. And then you find out things about Jesus. You find out that he says things like, take up my cross and follow me. Wait, I think you, you already did that, didn't you? You said you did that once and for all. Yeah, but you're entering into Christ. You're entering into Christ, you're entering into his life. The Bible says that he learned obedience. Wait, when Jesus had to learn obedience? He was a man. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. I'm just telling you, you gotta assess your God all the time to make sure you're serving the right one. Because we think Jesus is more like Santa Claus than we do Jesus, sometimes. But it says, it says right here that you can do those things, you can bear for you, 
But if you turn and you bear thorns and briars, it takes you into a different destiny in your life. Verse nine says, but beloved, I love how Paul says this. He, he tells these two analogies that are striking for an individual to hear. Like, wow, that doesn't feel real encouraging to me. And then he goes and says, but it's not you guys. He says it right here. Look at verse nine. He says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, that, the, that, that things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work, which literally means toil, to forget your work and your labor of love, which you've shown toward his name, in that you've ministered to the saints and do ministry, that's us, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. God calls us to diligence. There's this thing going on around the world right now that Jesus, you know, he doesn't want you to work, doesn't want you to do it. If you're feeling stressed or strained, then you need to stop what you're doing, which is not true. It's not, we're called the labor of love and you feel stressed because we choose stress while we're working. Actually, God can give you work even though it's hard work for your earthly body and your earthly mind. You can get a hard job, a difficult job that tasks your brain and yet your spirit be set free. Did you know that? So he calls us actually to labor and to do things, to work. Actually, so much so that in the early community, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. So he calls us to work. Whether you like your job or not, <laughs> make it a heavenly job. We, we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, literally in the Greek, I looked it up, it is lazy, uh, that you do not become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience, what's the last part of that verse? Inherit the promises. This is what I want to share about for a few minutes. Faith, patience. Faith, patience. The, the victorious twins. Faith, patience. It's fascinating. There's so much stuff about this. And this, this passage, it continues to go. I don't have time to read through it, but read through it when you get home. It's, it's what Paul uses or the author of Hebrews uses is the story of Abraham to back this up, that Abraham had to learn patience. We know he wasn't totally patient because he was waiting for a promised son to come. And in the midst of it, during this you know, period of time, 13-year period of time, he gets distressed and says, you know what, maybe, maybe I interpret this a little bit different. So he gets a different woman other than his wife, which actually his wife suggested, a different woman other than his wife to bear a child so that he can have the child. And now forevermore, that's called birthing an Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes kind of a warrior against the true promised son that becomes the son of Abraham, which is Isaac, which means laughter. And so when you try to move things ahead of God, but I'm moving in faith. And I, if, you, if, you in, if you totally interpret faith as doing whatever comes into your mind quickly, you're gonna end up in bad shape. So you understand that faith is something that moves forward toward the ultimate promise of God, but understands that it will probably take time to get there. That's called patience. Faith, patience. Faith, patience, inherit the promise. Faith alone, you might get the promise, but because you don't have patience, something's gonna happen. It's gonna be difficult to hold on to. Patience without faith means you're gonna wait somewhere and never get anywhere. But with faith, 
and patience, which means you're gonna move in faith, you're gonna see results, but those results are not gonna be the full promises until the proper time that you enter into the full promises of God. Some of you are walking at a dream right now that's been going on for 30 or 40 years. And you can just give up. You go, oh, I give up. I don't know, maybe I heard it wrong, whatever. I mean, I've, I experienced that all the time. I've had words that were given to me when I was 10 years old. I am not 10 any longer. And I've held on to those words. I remember them. I write them down. Sometimes I put my words on the wall in my office on a, on a post-it note, big post-it note, and I chart it out, you know, and I stand there and I look at it. I go, Lord. So when I'm praying, it's a visible. I say, Lord, that right there, I believe that came from you. Lord, let's bring that forth. But some of those have been going on for years and years. I mean, I believed for a citywide move of God in 1985 called a quake on the lake. And I, I proclaimed it all over the city on radio and pulled over 100 churches together. I was 20, I don't know, I was 28 years old, something like that. 28 years old, you know, I was just out there, you need, we need to do this. I mean, I, I'm 28. I thought this is going to happen this weekend. The awakening is coming this weekend and it would be marked by a physical earthquake. I said that on radio. And so, uh, you know, we, we did it over Halloween week, a week long called Quake on the Lake. Quake on the Lake. Took it out of uh, the book of Acts. If you could get a couple of believers in this prison house called Cleveland to pray together, God would shake the prison house. Chains would come off, doors would open. The jailer would come to the Lord Jesus Christ and boom, Bingo, bang, we, we've got a revival. We've got an awakening, you know. It didn't happen. Although in January, two months later, Cleveland was hit with the strongest earthquake in its history, 5.0, in January 1986. And during that period of time where I was like, oh, Lord, what was that all about, man? I proclaimed all these things. When the earthquake happened, I thought, whoa, it's here. It's this weekend. It wasn't in November, it's now. Well, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm calling, and, and it's a long story, and I don't have time to go through, but that's when he called me to Canada. He said, Lord, I don't want to leave, but the revival's coming. I, you know, well, here we are. How long is that? I, I can't head up. It's 30, 25, 35, 30-some 30, 30 years have gone by. Do you know that still hangs in my soul? I feel like we are coming to an entry point. I believe that an awakening is coming to the greater Cleveland area. I believe that hundreds of thousands will be swept into the kingdom of God. I believe that our children and grandchildren are gonna find Jesus Christ in a powerful way that will mark them for generations to come. It is a Jesus movement. It is an ever-sweeping movement, but God's calling us to not give up. I get that as you get older, because I'm getting older, I'm changing how I approach life. I'm doing a little bit of less of this, a little bit more of that, hanging out with these people, you know, a little bit. I'm just, I'm just rearranging things because I realize it's a, new, it's a new season in life, but the heart is not changing. I'm believing for an awakening of revival in this city that's gonna sweep all of Ohio, and if you believe Bob Jones' word, you know that the head will rise first, which is in Cleveland. We thought at the call in 2017, thank you, 2017. I got my, my whole Google world out here. In 2017, we drew 12,000 people together down at the queue. I forget what it was called then. Maybe Rocket, I don't know. Queue. And, and we prayed for 12 hours. We're going after God. Surely, this is the weekend that's going to break out all of a sudden. And everyone's going to go out in the streets with tongues of fire on them and the city will be swept into the kingdom of God. 
here we are, five years later. Do I give up? No, no. I, man, I, I tell you, when I die, if I'm cremated and the revival breaks out, my ashes will be there somehow, one way or another. I want to be at the revival, the awakening. I don't live for awakening. I live for Christ. But I call for awakening for the sake of our, our nation and for the sake of our generations that the Lord would come in power. So it takes me to, to Numbers, and I'm just going to touch on this. I only have a few minutes, but in Numbers 13 and 14 is so important to the Christian consciousness as you move toward the promises of God in your life, whether it's individually or like us in Bethel, Cleveland, corporately believing for citywide revival that will touch the nations. I said, but what Bob Jones said was the Gulliver word, the revival man, that when Cleveland's head rises, it will sweep right down all the way to the south like a giant man named Gulliver, and he will rise up with both feet in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and the word said that when the feet are in Atlanta, Georgia, and the body Christ revival man is standing up, all of the south will be saved. That's a huge word. I believe it's from God. And so as Cleveland, we've got a key responsibility. The head has got to rise in Cleveland. And so it's kind of our responsibility to step into that promise and say yes and amen. If you believe that, say yes and amen. Yes. Okay, good. We've got a good group here. They're, they're cooperating. So in, in Numbers 13 and 14, this is the major story that affects us. Now remember, the children of Israel have been in Egypt. Long story. Again, I don't have time. You know it. But they, they go over there in good intentions to escape famine under Joseph. Things are going well. But they grow so much, they prosper so much that the Egyptians get concerned about them politically and, and force them into slavery. And so after hundreds of years in slavery, the Lord hears their cries, it says in the Bible. And later on, he refers to like an eagle, he comes and swoops them up. So, such a beautiful picture and begins to march them out. We know through the plagues that came, they release them and they move out and they go across the Red Sea, under the Red Sea, the, the walls that open up. You've all seen the movie. And they walk across and when they get on the other side, then the walls collapse on the horse and rider thrown into the sea, you know. And Israel begins to move through the wilderness and learn the things of God. Their bread is on the ground. I mean, it's weird. Want a little meat today? I'll bring in some quail. They'll fly low, hit them with a baseball bat. I mean, it's, you know, this is the way, it was, it was Uber before Uber ever happened, you know. The Lord delivering food right to them every day. Door dash, tent dash, flap dash. I don't know what you call it. It's probably taken already. Anyway, so they get to the point. Finally, they get to the place where after all this learning of the Spirit of God and how we move, we come to the gates of our promise. And this is really what the Hebrews thing is referring to. When you come up to a place, you will be able to move in and conquer this place. It is given to you, but it must be conquered. <laughs> it's a gift, but you're fighting for it. What? What kind of gift is that? A gift from God. He gave you a gift. Here it is. There's enemies there. Go in and dispossess it. That's what a father says to a son. I'm giving you this, but you're going to have to you have to learn how to do it. You have to get in there and figure it out. I'll be there with you. I'll help you. I'll counsel you in any way. So they're there at the gates. It's such a magnificent story. I've been reading it over and over again. I, I bought one of these. We may have these at the back table. This is Joshua, the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. In the Passion Translation, I love the Passion. It's called uh, Courage to Conquer. 
It's a cool little just paperback. You can, I write all over in mine, you know, and, and uh, it's your, your, the footnotes are, are, are gold. I mean, they're just so exciting to read about them. And so I've been just reading over and over and over and over again, just enjoying that moment because Joshua is about when they crossed in to the promises of God. And, and funny, you're going to learn more once you get in the promises than you even learned in the wilderness. But here's the, here's the deal. You have a slave mentality. You've been in slavery for 400 years. You have forgotten that the reason you were in Egypt was because that your relatives are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's easy to forget what our roots are. It's easy to forget that, wait, my relatives did great things. My ancestors did great things. And somewhere in there, God had to raise up. It was, it was a people that who's over 400 years, your mind gets shaped. Your mind, I, I just want to get what I can get. And a piece of bread is on the table. You grab it quickly and people are fighting over the bread. You know, there's no royalty involved there, man. You're just living on whatever I can get, whatever I can fight for. And that's the moment right there that God says, I'm going to take you into a promise with land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. I mean, the excitement of that, you imagine, but when they get up there and realize we've got to cross over and the report is sent out. This is, this is where I'm, uh, the Lord does something that I think is, it's a brilliant business thing. We all use it if you do any kind of business activities. It's called due diligence. And due diligence is this. I looked it up just to make sure I had the right definition. Reasonable steps taken by a person in order to satisfy a legal requirement, especially in buying or selling something. So what this means is you scope something out before you buy into it. If you want to flip houses, you better learn this. If you want to do any kind of entrepreneurial business, you better learn this. I mean, you better pick the sector you want to be in and sink yourself into it, learn everything you can about it before you step into it. I want to be a doctor, but I hate studying. We got a problem. You're going to be going to school like half of the rest of your life. Ask Andre, he'll tell you. Oh, man, what? We got to go to school? I want to go to minister to the, the French in Europe. It's such a hard nation for those followers of Jesus, you know. Well, you're going to need to learn French. No. I don't need to do that. I believe God's supernaturally going to give me French. Well, that may happen. It seldom happens because there's something about the learning of French that attaches you to the heart of the people that you're going to minister to and causes them. So you say, well, what are you, what are you trying to say here? It is through faith and patience. Faith. They, they believe that from when St. Patrick heard in the dream, holy boy, come on over, walk amongst us, to when he went there was probably 17 to 27, 17, 20, or 27 years. I've heard three different ones. Well, that's crazy. Why didn't you just get on the first train and go over there? Well, first of all, he's in the sixth century. And so he prepares, he waits, he prays, he gets the level of authority he's going to need to go over there. He practices. He builds a team together. He decides probably on an ancient map where he's going to go in at, what he's going to do. He has it all put together in his head. Why? It's faith and patience. Faith and patience. You will inherit the promises. I don't know where you are in your journey. I know where I am. 
I'm in a place where I'm always looking because there's, there's always a bigger land that you're conquering in Jesus Christ. A new place, a new promise, a new dream. Are you going to be ready for what God has called you to do? You know, Cindy and I, we love, uh, we, we've been to Italy a few times. We love doing it. I mean, it's, it's one of those once every, you know, you got to save up for it and everything. And, but, but we got this thing in our head a few years ago, back in 2012, 13, 14, something like that. We're going to go to Italy. You know, we've never been there before. We're not Italian. But we felt compelled. And I felt compelled because of the church, Rome, the Vatican, the, the seeds of Christianity. I, I, I love all that stuff, all those things that are. And so we, we began our planning. We took months of planning. I mean, we're, Cindy's a serious planner. She just, I mean, we had post-it notes hanging on our wall in our kitchen for months. We worked out every day where we're gonna stay, what B&B, we found apps that helped us out with that, you know, uh, populated everything we needed. Then when we showed up, boom, 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 and there, you know, the confirmation numbers and everything, and we had our car. I mean, we had it, we had it all planned out. And it, it took, I don't know how many hours, but a lot of hours, you know, and then we would go there on YouTube. You know, you can go on YouTube and they've got these guys that have cameras that they're kind of up on their head here that they carry on these things that are not jostled by their walking. And they walk through cities in Italy. They don't say anything. You're just hearing street noise. No one says anything to them. They just want, we sit there for hours like, what are we doing? We're spying out the land. I mean, they didn't have YouTube back then. They had to send spies in the land. By the way, the Lord told them to send spies. Why? He said, do, he sent them in for due diligence. He said, look, are there mountains? Uh, see if there's mountains. And the Lord knows all this. He, he, he knows all, but, but he's wanting them to experience it. Because is there mountains? Are, they, are there forests there? Are the people friendly? Are they warring? Are the towns more like hamlets or are they strongholds? And they, they get all this information. And so they're just walking through, you know, the promised land, these, these 12 spies. One spy was selected by every tribe. And you know the story on this. They go there, they come back. They're, they're nervously excited because they bring this. You've seen the picture of the grapes they brought back that look like basketballs, you know? I mean, they're, they're bringing grapes back, you know, and one could feed an entire family. And they're, it's like, oh my gosh, what is that? You know, truly, the land is filled with milk and honey. And they're all excited about it. But then the 10, 10 of the spies say, yeah, but. There's a yeah, butter in every one of us. Yeah, but there is, there is like warring people there. They're walled cities. And then they say the best for last. They said, and the, the, the giants are there. They, they named the name, the Anakim. They named the names. And, and everyone legendary and in their minds know what that is, that you want to stay away from the giants they're crazy big, crazy strong. They're there. Yeah, they live there. It's their land. We're going to have to dispossess them. Uh, okay. And then they go into this uh, season of weeping. They, they weep all night. I mean, they are just, uh, they freak out. They lose their minds. They go in a tirade. They go in a tirade against Moses. Every time there's a major problem, we want to elect a new leader, Right? 
And, and that's what they were going to do. I mean, they were going, we got to like, get Moses. Moses brought us here. And then they start reflecting back to things that are not good. They say, we were better off in Egypt or if we'd have died in the wilderness. Like, isn't death, death? Don't you want to die in the promises rather than in the wilderness or rather than your bondage? I mean, they're just not thinking straight. And so what happened was because of the distress, they are hindered from going in. But there's two guys who wanted been, uh, been Moses' assistant, Joshua. He's actually named Hoshua. And before they go in, Moses changes his name and says, you are Hoshua, which means pursuing promise. Your name is now Joshua, which means God will provide, or God, God, God is with us. God's provision, God, God is with us. And so they come back, and uh, God recognizes Caleb as having a different spirit, and also Joshua. And it's interesting as you think about it, and I'm closing with this. They represented two tribes, Judah, that was Caleb, which means praise, right? Lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, we like Judah. We're a tribe of Judah here. We like to worship and praise God, and we got a whole band and everything. Judah, 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 and we're worshiping. Praisers, you know. That's Caleb. And then there's, and then there's Joshua. Joshua was from Ephraim. Ephraim is, is uh, let me make sure I get the exact... Uh, yeah, Ephraim means fruitful, and the symbol is the ox. The symbol of Judah is the lion. So it's, the, it's interesting. It parallels with faith and patience, faith and patience, faith and patience. There's work, there's labor, there's faith. There's work, there's labor, there's faith. It's Judah and Ephraim. It's the lion and the ox, the weapons of our warfare for you to inherit the promises of God is you to be connected with the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit through worship. But you're also somebody who is very earthly and understanding and you know there's things that need to be done to make it happen. We're not blissful in the sense of it's just gonna happen, I know. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm gonna let God do. We have all these things we say, you know, to keep us from him to do anything. Uh, he's going he's to provide. He's, well, that's true, but he's going to provide through you. He's going to move through you. Very seldom do you walk into the promises of God having done nothing. You pray, you labor, you work, you, you build relationships with people, you prepare yourself for what God has coming. I talk to people all the time and say, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I say, well, how are you doing that? Like, tell me about it. Oh, I got a stupid job. I really don't want to do it, but I'm paying the bills and I just believe God's going to deliver me out of that. He's going to bring me everything that I've ever needed and I would be blissfully living in Florida the rest of my life. What do you think? No, they never asked me what I think. If they did, I would tell them. I'd say, that's stupid. You need to be in the game. You need to be in there, man. You, you, you ever hear of on-the-job training? I mean, he's going to work you into that, and there's a whole lot of little battles you need to fight before you get to that one because those are actually going to prepare you for that one. If you just ride in your lazy boy all the way to the gates of the promised land, you're going to be crushed in, jo in Jericho because in Jericho, they truly the Judah part of them came forward. And when they worshiped and when they yelled, the walls came tumbling down. Let's all stand together if we could. God is shaping you right now. 
so that you can enter into God's promises over your life. You're an army of worshiping oxen. (laughs) We're laborers that worship God. We love to do things for God. By the way, uh, just a little commercial in here. We're still looking for Jesus for uh, the majesty, matchless play. I'm sorry, matchless play. Uh, remind us of Jesus. If you, if you got the potential of growing somewhat of a beard and, and you're somewhere around the age of 30 and you, you'd love to give this thing a shot, CJ, and he will work with you on it because uh, we've got five weeks left for our Easter presentation. Got it. Almost everything else is in place. We still need volunteers, but we need Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's what we're singing right now. We need an earthly representation to help us in this, all right? So let me pray for you a minute. If you're here today, you came in, you might even be visiting or whatever, but you're like, ah, Lord, I don't know. I'm just confused what's going on in the world, inflation, riots, and, you know, all the wars and rumors of wars and, you know, confusion about my future. And You may be older and seeing your retirement whittle away at 10% a year, you know, uh, and this inflation just kind of eats it up, maybe on a fixed income. And you're realizing that in all my preparation, which teaches me, ultimately I need the Lord to move in and be able to walk in the peace that I need in the days ahead. And if that's you, we're gonna pray for you. If you've never asked Jesus in your life, Jay's gonna tell you how to do that. We've got a great I've Decided slide we can put up there as he's talking just to help everyone in. But let me just pray for you as a church right now. I feel we're on the cusp of something, of the Spirit of God. I feel it every Sunday when I'm here. I feel it when I pray alone. I got a lot of people sending me stuff saying, oh, wow, did you know this, blah, blah, blah. And it's all themed the same way. That we're on the edge of entering in to the promises of God. Are you ready? You ready for this? He's shaped you. He's molded you. And now he's calling you. So just hold out your hands with palms up like you're ready to receive. And I'm going to bless you. And then Jay's going to take a minute to pray with you all before you leave. Lord, we seek you, Lord, right now. Through faith and patience, we enter the promises. Lord, give me patience. Teach me how to wait, Lord. Teach me your ways. Help me to know how to risk when it's important, Lord. Faith. That I can move forth in faith and be patient, even though it's been a year, five years, 10 years, or in my case, sometimes 45 to 50 years waiting. All kinds of great celebrations along the way, all kinds of moves of God, great, 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 great. But a societal shift toward the purposes of God has not yet happened. But we're praying, we're believing, we're standing at the gates ready to cross over. I bless this congregation to be a prophetic church that speaks to the future, lives in the present, but speaks to the future and declares hope for everyone around them. A Caleb, a Joshua, an ox, a lion. I bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.